Your body is an amazing machine. It turns food into energy, heals wounds, supports your consciousness, and so much more. But it needs the right fuel to function at its best. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition with high-quality ingredients and less than three grams of sugar. This fall, you will want to try Organifi Gold. This delicious superfood tea helps you sleep and recover so you can wake up feeling refreshed and energized. It supports rest and relaxation, a healthy immune response, and a better response to stress. And don't forget about Organifi's other products, including their red juice, which is still my favorite, a delicious superfood punch that increases energy without the caffeine. You can reach for it in the afternoon instead of that sugary snack. You can experience Organifi's high-quality superfoods for less than $3 a day. Go to www.organifi.com backslash you and use code bestofyou for 20% off your order. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com backslash you and use code bestofyou for 20% off any item. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Allison, and I'm so glad you're here to discover what brings out the best of you. This podcast is all about breaking free from painful patterns, mending the past, and discovering our true selves in God. I can't wait to get started as we learn together how to become the best version of who we are with God's help. Hey everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Best of You podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so excited about this series on faith talks where we're highlighting the spiritual dimension of that MEPS that I like to talk about, the mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual health that we're all responsible for, right? Before God, we're all responsible for our mental health, our emotional health, our physical health, and our spiritual health. Well, in today's episode, we're going to talk about faith and how faith is different from self-help. And I dabble between the two. I love to give you guys practical tools that are often categorized as self-help tools, but all of that happens against the backdrop of a living faith in Jesus. And as many of you know, I had a profound experience of transformation through meeting Jesus personally in college. And my experience was not unlike what our guest will share with us today. I'd grown up as a Christian, right? I knew all the right things. I read the Bible, but I didn't really know Jesus until that moment in college. It was about a three-month period of time where it all became real to me, and it changed everything. And so when I read our guest's book, it reminded me right, of how empty all of our tools are, all of our tools, all of our self-help strategies, all of the things we do that are important, right, but how empty those things are if they're not infused with the power of the living God, if if we're not infused by that daily, moment-by-moment connection to Jesus, to the one who loves us, to the one who brings us forward into this beautiful life, who helps us bring purpose out of pain, who helps us find hope when we are hurting the most. So for this episode, I've invited on a new friend of mine. His name is Granger Smith. You may know Granger from his country music. He's an award-winning, platinum-selling country music singer-songwriter. But I was introduced to Granger through his brand new New York Times bestselling book, Like a River, Finding the Faith and Strength to Move Forward After Loss and heartache. It's an incredibly raw, candid look at the aftermath of an unspeakable 
loss that Granger and his wife Amber experienced several years ago. It was the loss of their three-year-old son to a tragic accident. And it really led Granger into an experience of post-traumatic stress. And it talks about how Granger found hope again. It's a powerful book. It's a moving book. And Granger shares very openly in our conversation about the aftermath of that trauma. So I want to give you a heads up that today's episode includes some graphic imagery of the loss. It touches on drug use and it touches on a moment where Granger considered suicide. And so I want you to listen with care today. If those topics are triggering to you or activating to you, please listen with care and seek out support. If these subjects are particularly distressing or sensitive for you, I want to remind you there's 24-7 free confidential help available for anyone who's in distress. You can text or call 988. But this is a powerful episode about how Jesus met Granger in his moment of deepest need. Now, the way it happened for Granger is not the way it happens for everyone necessarily. There are a lot of ways that Jesus meets us in our time of need. It doesn't necessarily happen this way for everyone, but it's a powerful story about how we need connection with the living God, the God who can actually change us, the God who can actually redeem us, the God who can actually give us Hope. And so I'm thrilled to bring you my conversation with Granger Smith, the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Like a River Finding the Faith and Strength to Move Forward After Loss and Heartache. Well, I am so glad to have this conversation with you today, Granger. We met. Very briefly in Dallas, we were both there recording an interview. I didn't know about your story. I knew your country music when I went and looked it up. I thought, oh, I know those songs. I love your music, but I didn't know your story and read your book in one sitting on my way home on the plane, cried my way through it. And also, it was a really profound way that God used it in my life because my story in many ways, at least my story of faith, is almost the opposite of yours in the sense of being so all in spiritually that I almost didn't have the practical life tools that I needed. So it was almost the opposite. And so it was really profound to me to enter into your journey and be reminded of what it's like to be living life, maybe even a successful life, and trying to cope with really hard things without that transforming rebirth, that transforming experience Mm. with Jesus. So we'll get into that. But I want to just start for my listeners who aren't aware of your story or who maybe haven't read the book. You found your son face down in a pool and you were not able to save him. That was the end of his life. And he was how old, Granger? He was three. Three years old. So you and your wife went through an unthinkable loss Mm -hmm. in that moment. And you describe with such honesty And in such detail, what it was like for you in the aftermath of that loss, the guilt that you felt, even though by no estimation was it remotely your your wife's fault. It was a horrible accident, but just the horrible guilt that you felt, the PTSD that you experienced. You talk about a slideshow Mm -hmm. that consistently went through your mind. Would you just Tell us a little bit, if it's okay. I, I hate to push on a, on a wound, although I know you've written the book and you're talking about this. Just a little bit about what those first few months were like after this loss. 
Yeah, certainly. And I am willing. I, I, I think that a lot of people thought when I wrote the book, they thought, well, oh, wow, Granger wrote a book about the loss of his son. But interestingly enough that the book really, that's just the first chapter. Because the book is what you're talking about. The book is the aftermath of it. What happened to me spiritually, physically, emotionally after that loss, after that tragedy, and kind of running parallel with what was happening to my wife and my kids and everyone else around us simultaneously walking through life as a public figure, as a country music singer that needed to get back out and tour and fulfill contractual dates and make money to pay for the the rest of the crew that was on salary. And that was a journey that I tried hard to control that journey. I tried to control the way that I reacted through the tragedy. I tried to control the way that people saw me. I tried to control my family and navigate the depths of that grief as this kind of authoritative figure that as if I had the power to emotionally and spiritually control anything. That was my first mistake. I always like to say, to kind of qualify me in this conversation, that I am really a kind of a control freak anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that has worked out for me sometimes, and it is, is not other times. And so I was really into like the self-help movement. I considered myself mentally tough. And a lot of things that I've done, and I don't say that in a way to brag, I say it in a way to qualify me for the when we get into the conversation that that wasn't enough. I ended up completely hitting rock bottom after trying everything to physically control the environment around me. Yeah, you describe that in such precise detail that all of those, in, in some ways, what the world would applaud, and even even as Christians, the discipline that it took you to get the level of success that you had in your life, the morning rituals, you could tell just you were adept. You excelled at these daily rituals, these daily rhythms of keeping a well-ordered life. And not all of it is bad, but it could not sustain you in the grief that followed this loss. And you really, you described that. You would kind of get little footholds of, okay, maybe it's going to be okay, but it just, it wasn't. And you talk about this slideshow. Tell me a little bit about that, the slideshow that you couldn't get out of your mind. Yeah, the, the best way I could describe it, especially in hindsight, is because I've thought so much about it, but the best way I could really kind of put weight on this is that my brain saw something so abnormal, so out of the norm of anything that I could possibly comprehend that when I saw that, it damaged it in a way, maybe in a way that a computer overloads with too much RAM and it starts spinning. That little spinning wheel of death starts going on the screen. I believe that something akin to that happened in my brain when I saw something so out of the ordinary, so devastating, that it overloaded on RAM. <laughs> That's the poorest way I could possibly yeah. give an analogy. But in order to try to fix itself, my brain was replaying the events over and over and over, looking for a solution to it, looking for some kind of finality to it, like something that it missed. Oh, there's an explanation to why River was in the pool. And there it is, because I ran it so many times subconsciously that it finally found the solution and it closed the loop and it fixed itself. And so those images were River's face down in the pool. 
I'm crashing into the water. I pick him up. He's he's limp like a rag doll. His eyes are loose and rolling around in his head, and his body is purple. And Amber, my wife, is running out to meet us, and she's horrified. And the the emergency services are arriving, and they are uh, working on him after we did CPR. That we're driving to the hospital. The doctors are coming in saying there is no more hope. He is gone. We've lost him. The funeral flashes in. My son Lincoln is has his hand on his little brother's casket. And as he releases the hand, I remember this the kind of the moisture from his hand leaves the print on top of the casket itself. And those images just play and play and play. And they could pop up at any time. I could be in a conversation with someone, could be in the middle of the night and wake me up. And I could I could wake up and think, I'm okay. And then the slideshow starts and I'm not okay. It was horrifying. It was addicting. You couldn't control it. Yeah, it absolutely controlled me. Yeah. I think all in a, in, in a way that my brain was just trying to fix itself. The word in psychology oftentimes for what you're describing are flashbulb memories. Mm. You're exactly right. What you're describing, your brain, the circuitry of your brain takes a photographic picture of these moments that are so extreme and so out of its norm and it just keeps going in the severity of the moment. So anybody who's been through sort of that kind of traumatic moment of seeing something, as you said, just that we should not be seeing, the brain captures it and it becomes a nightmare, right? But it's interesting because it's almost like your power of your tremendous ability of your mind to solve problems became your worst enemy because this was an unsolvable. There was no explanation. There was nothing that could take this away. And so then it just becomes an intrusive loop that you couldn't get away from. And, and you talk about connecting with Navy SEALs who had similar experiences with PTSD, right? Yeah. Those flashback experiences was very similar to your experience. And it makes sense. Yeah, you said that all so beautifully and so much more technical than me. And I, I love that. I would speak to these special forces guys because when you think of PTSD, that's kind of what you what you think of. You think of, well, these men and women that have seen things and they, they can't get that out of their head. And so I just, I thought, well, what do they do to combat this? Because that became, it became the biggest problem I was having was my own mind, overcoming my own mind. And, and once again, I have to go back to what I said earlier about qualifying myself as a mentally tough person. So that I'm, I'm not just, someone couldn't just write me off as, well, you know, I could do that. I could overcome something like that. I couldn't. It became the main enemy of what I was dealing with. And so I, I thought, just like other injuries in my life, physical injuries, and I would think, well, what does a NFL quarterback do to recover from this this certain injury? I thought, what does some kind of war vet special forces guy, how does he or she recover from PTSD? <laughs> I come to find out they don't do it very well. <laughs> there are different techniques. There was different ways in therapy. One of them was called brain spotting that I went through uh, that was trying to identify the places in your mind that are recalling that information from and trying to soften that, those memories where they're a happy place, really. But for the most part, uh, these these veterans were not doing very well at it because it's still not widely understood how to combat it at all. And then that's your field, not mine, So, or, or any veteran. And so without a lot of knowledge of even how this is happening, people were coping with, in other ways. 
Alcohol, that's why alcoholism is so huge with veterans. Drug use is so huge with veterans because that's a, a quick fix. That's a way to numb it quickly. I so appreciated. I wanted to thank you for the way that you so candidly describe your own foray when you couldn't beat it. And you're a logical guy. You can tell you're smart, you're strategic, you're logical, you're a problem solver. You tackled it like you, one would tackle any problem. You couldn't beat it. Understandably, you know, the therapist in me is like, of course, you turn to numbing, you turn to marijuana, and you're so honest about it in the book. And I was so grateful for that, Granger, because that's what people do. And and you didn't sanction it, but you also didn't shame it. Right. You were like, this is the only way out. And it doesn't fix it, but it sure did give me a night's sleep when I needed it. And I've worked with so many trauma survivors who have had that same experience, who've been in prison or who've seen atrocities or have been the victim of such horrible abuses. That is the only way to shut that slideshow down. And for a moment, it does. Yes. And we're taking the, all the morality out of it, right? We're not talking right. about whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent. It's survival. Yeah, I think I said when a drowning man is drowning, he'll do anything he can to find the air. And that was, that was air at the time. Yes, it got you through. And you also say so candidly and so beautifully, but it didn't get to the root of the problem. It just numbed it. It just got you through to the next day. And I, I want to pause there because for those who are listening, I know so many of you in private, in secret, have turned to things that you wish you hadn't turned to when the pain was too great. And it's part of the horror of some of these things we've experienced. And there's not shame in it. We want to name these things without shame. You're right. I, I would say that if anyone is in that category, you just qualified someone that was going through something so devastating that then they tried something to get over it. And now they're shameful of that thing. I would say you can't be. You can't be because it's not a matter of comfort. It's a matter of survival. That's right. And you'll do anything you can. That doesn't mean that it's right or wrong, like you said, uh, but it was a matter of survival. What really matters is what, is what happens after that. 61% of people experience gastrointestinal discomfort, and I'm definitely one of them, which is why I love Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. It's a broad-spectrum probiotic and prebiotic formulated with 24 clinically and scientifically studied strains for whole body benefits, including gut skin, and heart health. Seed's patented capsule-in-capsule ViaCap technology optimizes viability and delivers a precision release to the colon. No refrigeration required. It promotes healthy regularity and stool quality in addition to healthy gut immune function. I notice such a difference in my regularity when I take my DSO-1 consistently versus when I skip a day. Visit seed.com slash bestofyou and use code bestofyou to redeem 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. That's seed.com slash best of you and use code best of you. I'm so thrilled that this podcast is sponsored by Relief Band. When someone in your family, or maybe it's you, has to skip school or skip work because you are so nauseous, it's such a terrible feeling. And if that sounds familiar, you need a Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. 
The relief band itself just looks like a really cool watch or accessory you wear on your wrist to give you relief from nausea and uses technology that works with your body so it's safe, drug-free, and has zero side effects. It's that simple. Plus, it treats and prevents nausea so you can help stop nausea from becoming a problem in the first place. So if you always have a flashlight on hand for a blackout or a first aid kit on hand for emergencies, then you need a relief band for those unexpected nausea moments. Right now, we've got an exclusive offer just for Best of You listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use promo code Best of You, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping. So head to R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com and use our promo code BEST OF YOU for 20% off plus free shipping. So tell us a little bit about that. You had a dark night of the soul that kind of took you into the depths of I've tried everything, including numbing. Mm-hmm. And it was so fascinating to me, Granger, from a psychological perspective, it's exactly what we see. I don't know if if folks have named this for you, but the minute you start to get a ray of hope, if there's been any little bit of, oh, I might be able to make it, that is when we are the most vulnerable. Mm. When you look at suicide, when we look at depression, the minute you start to feel like, oh, maybe I'm going to make it. That's when we're the most vulnerable to falling back down into the pit. And I saw a little bit of that in your story. There was a moment of hope where you, for the first time in a long time, enjoyed being with your buddies on the road. It'd been torture. You'd hated it. You'd been going through the motions. You were doing it because of all the reasons you said you thought you had to. And there was one night where there was maybe just a moment of, maybe I can enjoy this. And in that moment, it took you right into actually right back to the pit and in in the worst possible way. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah, I did feel that. I had been through sessions of therapy. I felt like I, I at least understood the root of the problem. I understood that I had some tools in my toolbox to tackle the, the root of the problem. I knew that I couldn't completely fix it, but I knew that if I could just kick the can down the road a little further each day, that eventually time would heal me. And so I thought, I've got the brain spotting techniques that I learned in therapy. I've got a good community around me, people that are supporting me, praying for me, loving on me. I've got a good job. I had built things that I thought, I was wrong, but I thought that these things that I just named would eventually heal me. And then, as a backup to all of this, I had the weed pen, the, the marijuana pen that you charge up and you could you could inhale this vapor. So I thought, I've got all this, plus I've got my, my goalie and the last goal, you know, making sure that that ball doesn't get into the net. I've got everything pretty much worked out. And it had been about probably seven months since we lost River, my son. And that was the night in Boise, Idaho, that we had a, we had a, a show and we had a distraction in the concert because my guitar player, we went snow skiing that day and he broke his collarbone. And that put a huge distraction in the whole day for me because then he had to get surgery and he missed the show. He was totally fine, but he missed the show and we were forced to play one man down. So we had to put a lot of brain power into performing without all these guitar parts and finding a way to supplement that. And so I'm not thinking about the normal pain that I go through. I'm thinking about new things and using my brain in other ways. And we accomplished a great show and the crowd was awesome and the the band was great and we felt so good. And I, I remember thinking, wow, I feel pretty normal. 
I feel like a normal human. I don't feel like this guilt-ridden, shameful father that lost his son that's trying to find ways to just breathe oxygen. I'm not that guy. I feel pretty accomplished today. And so after the show, the guys said, hey, we'd love to just go have a drink, you know, like the old times, just have a few drinks. And I was like, yes, I would love that. That sounded amazing. So there was this little obscure bar by the buses and we went over there, just us, and had a few drinks and sat at the bar and and talked about old times and had another drink and talked about more old times. And I remember one of my audio guys said, hey, boss, it, it's really nice to see you looking normal again. And I said, thanks, man. I, and I felt it. I felt that in my soul. I was like, wow, what a great feeling to feel normal again. Yeah. And I walked out to my bus and it was cold December day in Idaho. And that's the first time I noticed, oh, wow, I'm really tipsy. And I went into my bus and I tried to dial in the, the code to the lock on my door and it was not working. And I, I thought, man, I, I don't think I have been actually drunk since we lost River. And then I thought, oh, I haven't been drunk since we lost River. Then it, then it, then it started, I started getting clarity to what was happening. And I thought, oh, no, yeah. I hope I have the ability to fend off the slideshow. Yeah. So I went, I went to the back of my bus and I... I quickly pulled out my pen, my weed pen, and I took a large hit of it just as a precaution, you know? And I remember taking that in and I thought, okay, this is a precaution for the slideshow. And as soon as I started thinking that, the slideshow came in. Full, bright, there's River. He's in the pool. He's face down, the whole thing repeating itself. And it was vivid and it was real. And I had... I had all the tools with me. I had the the weed pen. I had inhaled. I had everything, and everything was failing. All my little weapons were broken. I had nothing to defend myself, and I lost it at that point. I lost it. I started crying uncontrollably, crying, standing in the back of my bus, just tears rolling down my face, and it seemed like a long time I sat there in self-pity and depression and guilt and shame and the slideshow rolling and I cannot escape from it. And I reached for the drawer that I knew had a nine millimeter pistol in it. The one that was to protect our bus from anybody that could, would come on there and in the middle of the desert and want to take something from us. And I was going to take my own life with it. I thought, here it is. This is the way. I've tried everything else. This is the way to finally end all of this. And, and I remember in that moment feeling a comforting voice. And I don't want to over-spiritualize this in a strange way because it wasn't, I didn't hear a voice. I thought a voice. I thought a voice that was comforting that said, this is the way, this is how you'll end it. Squeeze and you'll finally have peace. And then I thought with another thought, outside of that thought, I thought, this is not me. How is that thought in me? Because that's not me. I didn't just think that. <laughs> I was suddenly aware of another presence, another conscience within me. I'm doing my best to describe something that's very hard to describe. And I've heard C.S. Lewis kind of walk through these the different consciousnesses that we could have. But I realized there was an intruder thinking for me. And that was the first time I realized I was in a spiritual war and that I was outnumbered and outflanked and cornered and I had no weapons to defend myself. And I was fighting a battle that was impossible to win on my own. And I cried out right then. I cried out, Jesus, 
save me. The slideshow ended. All of those feelings stopped. That second consciousness stopped, and I dropped that pistol onto the bed. And the tears stopped, and I fell to the floor and fell asleep in all of my clothes on that floor, repeating, Jesus, save me. And I was new. And the crazy thing about it was I was always considered myself a Christian. I always did. And so that name wasn't new, but there was a new authority to that name that I wanted to know. And that started a, a new journey for me. On that night, on the floor of that bus, my new journey became, who is this Jesus with the authority to end the slideshow? You're doing such a great job now, Granger, and you tell it so beautifully in the book. I love Lewis. I love how he talks, the screw tape letters. I mean, he's just he's just such a genius at articulating this spiritual warfare that it's clever, it's sinister, it's tricky. It's so much worse than, than the ways in which it gets over-spiritualized and hyped in this sort of flashy way. And you do such a beautiful job of painting that picture of that moment of realizing all of my tricks are useless in the face of this enemy. And suddenly you understood the enemy. And then somehow in there, you understood the actual cure in that moment. And it's so sincere how you describe it. And so I just want to thank you for doing the work of trying to put words on that. I can't imagine it's pleasant. (laughs) Yeah. And so I want to talk about that now, because as you said, this is a book that really is about your journey in the aftermath of unspeakable loss. And as I was reading along, the first half of it is really kind of what you're saying. There's not a lot about your Christianity, but you do get a sense you're a man of faith. But then suddenly it takes a 180. And there's a page in the book. I posted it on social media. It's page 93. And you kind of go through all of the things you tried. And you don't necessarily disparage them. You don't necessarily say they're bad a lot of this sort of self-help regimen, but you're saying it, it didn't have the cure. Without Jesus, without the power of the living God, it fell flat. And it's such this stark picture that you paint of what I think so many people are are living, that it's not that these tools are bad. And I, I thought about it, and I want to say this to you as a, as a therapist, as someone who equips people with tools, often practical tools, It was that stark reminder of in the absence of the living God, those tools are pretty impotent. And so you went all in now. You shifted gears completely. Tell us a little bit about what that was like. And specifically, there's so many ways we could go with it. I imagine you were still grieving. I imagine there was still pain. I imagine there were still moments in the middle of the night. But what was different? What became different? after that turning point for you. Sure. And you're right. There, there were moments of grief and pain, and that, that didn't end. Like, my grief didn't end that night. And I could track that through my journaling as I was still journaling th- through this process. Um, I could track that I had bad days. But amidst those bad days, I had a new mission. Who is this Jesus with the authority to eradicate the slideshow? And so... <laughs> It's like going through a war, but I know that if I can get to the end of this field, then there is light there. And so I had a direction to move. Before that, I didn't have a direction to go. I thought the direction was me. I was looking inside. I was looking internally for the direction. The direction all along was outside of me. And so those next several months, I was all in, like you said, and trying to find who he is. And that started with the thought of, well, I need a preacher. <laughs> and so the first thought I had was, well, Billy Graham, that's a very common preacher 
name. Let's let's go for Billy Graham. So I found him on YouTube, and I saw that there was hundreds of Billy Graham sermons. And so I thought, okay, this is a good way to learn who he is through Billy Graham sermons. Here we go. So I started watching and listening, and I was attracted to them. I was drawn to them. I was drawn to that teaching. I could look back now in hindsight and see that the gospel was just being poured over me every day. But I didn't, still didn't quite know what was happening. I was just on a journey of learning who he is. Why would he have this kind of power? I want to pause you here for a second because you use this term, dog tag Christian, that I think is interesting in the sense that you had a cultural background of Christianity. It's not that you weren't a man of faith, but this was different. This was a heart, mind, whole body reset of really understanding who this person Jesus was that stopped the slideshow. That's right. And that's become a major ministry for me is speaking out towards people that could be, and I believe a lot of them are, stuck in that cultural Christianity. Because this is America for the people listening in America. This is this is how a lot of us are raised. This is this is what we say, one nation under God. This is the culture that we speak of when we talk about Jesus. Yeah, of course. I don't think there's anyone that doesn't know the name Jesus living in the United States of America today in 2023. That's not a good thing, though. (laughs) It's actually harder to evangelize towards someone that already knows the name of Jesus and can articulate what he did on the cross than it might be to go to a tribe of someone that's never heard of him at all. Yeah, that's what's so interesting about this leg of your journey. is It's like you were starting over as if you didn't know anything, even though you actually kind of knew a lot. Yeah, I could quote scripture, I could defend the faith to some extent, and I definitely would have told you that I was a Christian. There's no doubt. But in hindsight, I look back and go, well, there was a moment when I was, and before that I wasn't. And that moment was on March 1st, 2020. And that's when I knew in every fiber of my being that I was redeemed and restored and healed and forgiven, ransomed. That was me. I I knew that through teaching, and that, that came through hearing a certain sermon of another pastor on YouTube, and everything became clear to me on that day. And that was the full 180 when I fully embraced who he was and as revealed in the Bible. And that's a, that's a concept that I, through my search through Billy Graham and everything else, still hadn't arrived at the idea, the very basic idea, that God has revealed himself in his scriptures. Mm. And so, Upon that revelation, I went home and I told Amber, my wife, I said, hey, we're going to read the Bible. We're not going to read any more devotionals. We were stuck on devotionals for years. We're going to throw those away. Not that they don't matter, but they are not a sole source of nourishment. So we went to the Bible, we went to, and I thought, where should I start? I thought, I remember thinking, well, uh, Matthew is the birth of Christ. Let's start there. The beginning of the New Testament. Let's start there. So we started at Matthew 1. Without commentary, without anyone telling us where to go, we started Matthew 1 and just started reading like children. Mm. Like you said, starting over. Let's read like children. Yeah. Because in John 14, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And I thought, how do I keep his word if I don't even know what it is? I don't know what it is. And out of gratitude for him saving me on that dark night in Boise— my expression of that gratitude was supposed to be, hey, just keep my word. And I'm going, what is it? Okay, so now I'm on a new mission now. Read his word. Absorb his word. Find him in his word as he's revealed. The living Savior's revealed in the living scriptures. 
And that started a new journey, or maybe just an extension of the other journey of finding him. And I was just, every day, I was blown away by those black and red words throughout the New Testament. I was blown away. I just, I was telling Amber, look at this. Did you see this? Are we underestimating what Jesus said? Are we underestimating when he says things like, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Yeah. Are we underestimating what he meant here? I don't think we are. I think he means what he says here. And I was so excited and so motivated that when I finished, I started again because Jesus said the prophets were talking about me. So I started in Revelation and started reading through Malachi. And once I finished that, I started again in Matthew. And I just, it's a pattern I'm still on today. Every morning before the sun comes up, I'm reading where I left off yet from yesterday. That's where I'm going to read today in my plan. And it is, I'm feasting on it. It is real food. It's real nourishment. And everything else wasn't. All the, the devotionals and, and the visualizations that I was doing were not nourishing me like that living, breathing word was. There's nothing like a good night's sleep to improve your energy and to restore your mental and emotional health. And that's why I love my Hatch Restore 2. The Hatch Restore 2 is your bedside sleep guide. It's your ally in rest. This innovative all-in-one dream machine is a sophisticated sound machine, light, and alarm clock beautifully designed for your bedside table. The Hatch Restore 2 was engineered to help you form healthy sleep habits for life. It teaches your body when it's time to sleep and when it's time to rise with light and sound cues. And it coaches you through meditations and mindfulness exercises that transform the time before and after sleep into restful rituals. I love my Hatch's soothing natural colors and the dimmable clock keeps my room dark without any blue light. Right now, Hatch is offering our listeners $20 off your purchase of a Hatch Restore 2 and free shipping at hatch.co slash best of you. Sleep deeply and wake gently with the Restore 2. Go to hatch.co slash best of you to get $20 off and free shipping. That's hatch.co slash best of you. Getting high-quality food and household essentials delivered right to my doorstep, whether it's my favorite Dave's Killer Bread, Incredible Wine, or 7th Generation Cleaning Supplies has been a game-changer for me. I love that Thrive Market only allows trusted, top-quality ingredients while restricting thousands of harmful ingredients like artificial flavors, high-fructose corn syrup, and more. And with just a few clicks, I can filter out ingredients that I don't want, like gluten or high-sugar content, making it so easy to find the items I need for my family. Best of all, when you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Save time and money and shop Thrive Market today. Go to thrivemarket.com slash best of you for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash best of you. Thrivemarket.com slash best of you. It's so interesting, Granger, because your whole face just lights up, that that movement from death to life, from dark to light, suddenly you had a new mission, you had a new purpose, you had a new person outside of you to pursue that took away, again, it wasn't that there's not grief, it's not that you don't miss your son every single day, it's not that you don't, you know, I know that all to be true, but it somehow provided you with something else outside of you to not take the pain away necessarily, but reshape 
the pain. There was a new concept that was introduced to me, and it was hope. Yes, there you go. I could still grieve, but I grieve as those with hope. And as the scriptures were revealed to me, and as I read them, and I learned who he is as revealed in the scriptures, I learned that he, just like the old Sunday school song, has the whole world in his hands. And when Jesus says things like this, when he says, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Yeah. We just take that for one second, and we just think about what that really might mean, the implications of what that means. You'll have trouble in this world, but don't worry, I've overcome it. It's like, oh, wow, that means the one that I put my trust in, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got everything providentially, sovereignly in control for a plan of good, because he's a good God. He has good planned in the end. And, and so then I could just rest in that. And I go, yeah, of course there's pain. Uh, so I'm not surprised at grief. I'm not surprised at physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual. I'm not surprised. I go, yeah, that's what he said. But take heart. I could trust him. I could rest in him. And suddenly, a whole weight is lifted off of me. And then the new thought is, I want to tell more people about this. <laughs> yeah, it changed everything. It almost, as I'm listening to you, it's like the way your mind was so fixated on solving a problem that you couldn't solve, that wasn't yours to solve, that your mind couldn't solve. It's not that God came in and kind of just created a neat, tidy bow on what happened. It's that suddenly it was no longer your problem to solve. It was God had it somehow. And it's hard to put words on right without sounding cliche. I just think of people who are suffering. You know, nobody wants to hear a cliche. God let it happen for a reason. You're like, no, it was awful, you know. But the way that you paint the picture of trying to be your own God in a way, in the sense of make sense of it, fix it, solve it, make it go away, whatever it is, that the freedom you felt when suddenly it was like, no, it, this is God's. It's way too big for me that there is a peace in that only because of who God is. Yeah. So what I found in the gospel was solving my biggest problem. And that was when the world says, you need to forgive yourself. Yeah. You're not guilty. Let it go. And in my mind, I'm going, yeah, but I am. <laughs> I am guilty. I was there. I was, I was the one in charge of my son that night. But the Bible says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. You're sinners. You are guilty. You are sinners. Come to me. I will cover your sin. I will remember your sins no more. I will rejuvenate you. I will clean your guilt. Come to me. I'll clean you. Yes, you're a sinner. Yes, you're guilty. Yes. Yes, you make mistakes. Yes, you mess up. Yeah. It's funny because when I read that, I was like, it's sort of like this cultural gaslighting because it's actually not a kind message to tell someone you can remove your own pain. You can forgive yourself. You can take away your shame. It's almost like an, the ultimate form of gaslighting, right? It's like we actually can't. It is. It's making people try to do something that they can't actually do, and then they think they're failing at yet another thing. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And there's more shame then. There's more shame. Okay, but I can't even do that. I can't even do these things I'm supposed to be able to do. It's so powerful, Granger. It's led you now to actually you've left country music altogether. Is that right? That's right. I have. <laughs> I'm continuing this thought of, wow, I want more people to know. I want more people to know. You know, in Matthew 13, the parable of the hidden treasure, 
It says that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field that a man finds and covers up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It's like there's this treasure that we have in Jesus. And I want everyone to know about that treasure. And there's not really any time for, for country music to get in the way of that. And there's also an idea that exalting myself on the country music stage and needing attention and needing my name to be great in order to sell tickets was just not reconciling with the humility that I was needing and feeling under the cover of the gospel. Mm-hmm. I'm moved by your story. I want to honor the way that you're stewarding it and the way that you are using this experience to help people, not only people who have experienced extreme suffering, but as you say, people who maybe can check all the box of faith, but maybe haven't come alive to all that it means to follow Jesus. When I was in college, I had an experience with Jesus, not unlike yours, and it was very similar of it is a death to life experience. Suddenly the the sky is blue, the grass is green. You know, it's like I've been living in sort of black and white and now I can see, right? Like the song of Amazing Grace. And from there, I had to go to on, as I, I alluded to, to fill in some of the practical life skills that we also do need to live a life in this world, you know, that we still live in. I didn't have a lot of those. That's why I say your story was almost the reverse. You had amazing, legit practical life skills. I mean, you had climbed your way to the top of an incredibly competitive industry. You had a wonderful marriage. You were a good dad. You know, you had some skills. You had some skills that you will no doubt still use as you move forward. Those are gifts. A lot of what I do is equip people with those kind of skills that they can use in partnership with their faith. So I say that to say, I love that you're going to take all of these skills, the discipline, the keenness of the mind God has given you, even some of the creativity, even some of the, dare I say, word ambition, to use that to introduce others to this Jesus that actually changes our lives and frees us and and removes the shame. And As you consider your future and as you consider this new journey, tell us just a little bit about what's bringing out the best of you is one of the things we like to talk about on this podcast. What are some current practices that are helping you live into this new vision for your life and how to steward the talents God has given you? Sure. I feel that as much as I'm pouring out, as much as I'm speaking and or preaching or doing interviews or writing I need to be doubly poured into. And so I feel like I'm in a season of equipping right now. And part of that season is just, I'm in seminary. And so there's a lot of reading that I'm doing, a lot of studying that I'm doing, a lot of research papers. And in fact, I did a position paper on C.S. Lewis recently, which is kind of why that pops up. So I'm in a season of equipping, and I don't think I could ever underestimate or undersell the importance to everyone listening of a local church of gathering, assembling on a Sunday morning with a local body under the the leadership of elders or pastors that are properly shepherding and fencing their congregation from the wolves outside. And I think that that is something because of country music that I just haven't been able to do consistently over any amount of time is take my family to a church on Sunday morning and sit in chairs and sit under wise teaching and hear the word, hear some kind of expositional preaching, walking through different books of scripture and 
applying that to life. That is probably number one out of everything that I do. It's really on top of the list. I love that. You're really trying to absorb all of it through seminary, through church, through the Bible. I love that. Well, thank you. I appreciate being led into your story. I appreciate the way that you shared it so vulnerably, so honestly with us. I appreciate just the way that you're leaning into. I love what how you describe leaning into being taught, being shaped, allowing this leg of your journey to be transformative on a deep way. And I just look forward to seeing where God takes you and uses this story that you've been given to Shepherd to help so many other people. Where can people find you? How can they get a hold of your work and learn more about you? Yeah, GrangerSmith.com or all the social media outlets. I'm just Granger Smith. Thanks, Granger. Hey, Allison, thank you so much. I, I sure appreciate you sharing your platform with me. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of The Best of You. It would mean so much if you take a moment to subscribe. You can go to Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts and click the plus or follow button. That will ensure you don't miss an episode and it helps get the word out to others. While you're there, I'd love it if you leave your five-star review. I look forward to seeing you back here next Thursday. And remember, as you become the best of who you are, you honor God, you heal others, and you stay true to your God-given self.